0: Welcome to the One House podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today, we have Priya Bajaj, Berkeley Haas MBA and Head of Engagement Management, West Region at Google Cloud. Priya is an experienced business and technology professional with experience at both Microsoft and Google. Along with engaging executive leaders in her work, Priya is also passionate about creativity and giving back to the community. Priya, welcome and great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, Priya, I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast today. We'd like to start the podcast just kind of talking about where you grew up. You studied electrical engineering at Georgia Tech and you were in the MBA program at Berkeley Haas. Where did you grow up?
1: I love that question because I don't think many people know my background. My parents are from India and I was born in India, but we moved to the Middle East very early on. I was about eight or nine years old when we moved to Qatar. That's where FIFA 2022 is happening so i grew up there all the way through high school and then once i wrapped up my high school i came to the u.s to pursue my undergrad at georgia tech growing up in doha was like staying in a bubble which i now realize looking back and i was very fortunate to grow up in the middle east because it was such a great way to learn about diverse cultures about getting the international experience with respect to um, understanding different cultures, understanding different perspectives, seeing people from different walks in life. And now that I look back, I think much of my empathetic nature probably can be attributed to growing up there because I was so privileged to get that level of exposure unconsciously at such a young age. So that's where I grew up. I grew up in the Middle East.
0: A lot of folks maybe are, are interested just because you know, maybe folks have taken a brief trip or maybe seen things. What was it like growing up in Doha? You know, several years ago, and is it the same? Was it the same as kind of what we envision today? Just a, almost a bustling metropolis with a lot of things like the World Cup happening there.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. When we first moved to Doha, I remember there used to be just one Sheraton across the entire Cornish, which is like their downtown line next to the ocean. They just used to have one shed. And today, if you go, if you even Google the pictures of Doha Qatar, it is just filled with all of these high rises, just like New York, bustling, like you mentioned it has grown incredibly in the past 20-25 years. I think much of their inspiration came from Dubai, which was their neighbor, and Dubai had a feet in bar, and they wanted to get their place still. but it's grown so much. And I think that's also where some of my early lessons about having a vision, you know, working hard, growing towards it, I almost feel like Me and my friends grew by ourselves also as Doha was growing up to get its place in the map. And I think we all have that shared experience. So I've literally seen the country grow from being a desert to being what it is today. And my mom would always draw inspiration from the things that were happening in the city and, you know, being philosophical about it and telling us how we need to adapt that in our lives. So again, as I think back now, I didn't realize that growing up though, but all of these things unconsciously definitely shaped me to be who I am today.
0: Yeah, Priya, you know, for a lot of us who are in the MBA program, you know, going to college is maybe one of the first critical inflection points in adult life. You know, What was it like coming from overseas and coming to the United States and having to choose a college and figure out what you wanted to study? What was that experience like for you and what was going through your mind as you were going through that process?
1: Yeah. Growing up I didn't have much exposure to the colleges in the US. I think that came about maybe in high school, eleventh or twelfth grade, when my parents were trying to figure out would it be best for me to go back to India to pursue my undergrad, to stay in Doha, because Doha is a really flourishing education city where there are US colleges that are part there, or does it make sense for me to come to the US? I think the biggest reason I was able to come to the U.S. was my parents. My parents had the vision of getting me to the best of wherever they can. And I think that's been their theme of life. I think has been serving their kids, as I'm sure many of us can relate to. And for them, it came from a place of aspiration of how can I take my kids to the best possible place. And based on their research, they felt coming to the U.S. would be the best place. But we didn't know anybody here. So that was the key thing, when people would be like, oh, did you go for college tours? And mm-hmm. no, it was <laughs> as simple as doing a Google search, mm-hmm. doing top five colleges, and I think it was top 10 colleges in electrical engineering,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the top 10 colleges that came. a simple decision. If you get into these colleges, you go to the US. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you go to the backup ones, because mm-hmm. it was purely based on doing a Google search and ranking and going, there. didn't do any college tours. So... The first time when I came to the U.S. was after I got on my admission and we came Mm -hmm. for, it's called FACET at Georgia Tech. I think the equivalent is just incoming freshman Uh, program. But having said that, I want to say that my story is not unique. I know so many international students who come to the U.S. without doing a college tour and literally doing the same thing where their parents are themselves. They'll do a Google search about, what's the best college to go to and apply to it and go there. So my story is not unique. It's very representative, I think, of how immigrants end up coming here to the U.S. for colleges, coming from that place of also aspiration. I think the key thing for my parents was the reason the decision point was hard because at the time, at least from Doha, we didn't know many other members of our community who were sending their kids to the U.S., I credit that completely to my parents, especially my mom, who had that dream and vision to say that's where she needs to go because she'll get the best of the education. And if we can afford it, let's make sure she gets it. And in the true sense of giving wings to fly, my fearlessness comes from my mom. She has always, from day one, had that vision for me. And given me the confidence that go oh, do what you want to achieve. So even today, unconsciously as I do things, I know that fearlessness comes because I can look back and see all these small and tiny moments i have taken the leap of faith. Because coming to the U.S. was a huge leap of faith for my parents, sending me away miles and miles away, yeah. knowing they'll only be able to see me like, once a year, twice a year. And again, as I say this, I want to recognize there are many other immigrant students whose story is the same, but I have confidence and fearlessness, I think these are the inflection points that yeah. uh, help us grow and adapt.
0: Yeah. What was it like when you got on campus? You know, you're coming maybe first or second time and then going through that whole college experience. <laughs> what was that like for you? And, you know, just trying to go through the process to graduate
1: most transformative years of my life for sure i think my mindset my values everything was challenged in those four years i had the privilege to be meeting people from all walks of life made some great friends there learned a lot from people a few of them i'm still in touch with but it was the journey, like they always say, it's not necessarily what I got out of the program. It was the journey of those four years. Personally, it was probably the biggest delta I have had in my growth. Specifically, when I grew up in the Middle East and you know, coming from my background, I came in with a certain belief system. Georgia Tech, there were people who challenged my belief system created awareness with respect to what's a different way of thinking about certain scenarios. And I appreciate that. I learned so much during those four years, not necessarily academically, but personally about my hopes for life. What are the things I like? What is the kind of life I want to live? All of that reflection happened in those four years. And I think self-awareness. Was a key thing I developed at Georgia Tech as I was trying to figure out which social groups to fit in, which academic groups to fit in. What do I want to pursue as a career? Even in career fairs, like every single person I knew was either going and being a software engineer for one mm-hmm. of the big companies or was going mm-hmm. into consulting. You know, which part did I want to take? So, from every aspect of my life, I cherished those four years for what it taught me personally and how much I grew and it was less about I think the cultural shock that most people probably felt and maybe that's attributed to the fact that I grew up in the Middle East so I was familiar with growing up in different cultures as this so it was less about the culture shock and more about just personal growing defining my morale and value system because I think one of the things that even comes up in our house ethics class is Ethics can seem boring Mm. or can seem theoretical or philosophical, but the true moment when you need to pull that in is when you are in a moment of conflict or crisis.
0: Absolutely.
1: That's when your ethics gets questioned because what is the value system from where you're pulling the decision of yes or no? That's the example. When I think back to my years at Georgia, that value system got transformed and refined. So today who I am, I think much of that got formed with the exposure I had to different people, different experiences, the joys, the sorrows, all that formed the basis of the value system I hold today, I think. So definitely attribute Georgia Dick to my personal growth because up to the age of 18, much of my value system was informed by my parents, by the culture. And I could choose at Georgia Tech how much to retain, how much to mold, I much to transform. So very, very transformative years
0: for me. What did you do after, after school? And what was it like going from being a student to now being a working professional?
1: Yeah, very interesting transition for me. So the first thing to note is I went to Georgia Tech to study electrical engineering. And my first internship was at Motorola, which is where I quickly realized that I need to be in a position where I'm interacting with people as opposed to the traditional roles and responsibilities of an engineer. So when I came back to Georgia Tech for my junior year, I actively sought out positions where I could be at the center of technology and business. I didn't know at the time that's called consulting, but that's what I knew I had it to seek out. And I ended up interning at Bank of America as a tech analyst. So it still wasn't consulting, but it was closer to being at that inflection point of business and tech. And so then when I graduated, I knew that's where I needed to be. And the reason for that, again, is one thing about growing up for me was I did multiple things in addition to school. So I was in debate clubs and dance clubs and paint clubs. And I was in all of these extracurricular activities. So I really enjoyed conversing with people and doing things that was in a more collaborative setting. So I knew being in a position where I interact with people would be critical for my growth. So when I graduated out of college, I started at Microsoft as a technical account manager. Which was a very good stepping ground to learn how to be in a B2B enterprise customer facing world. Very honestly, while I dodget I did not know something like this existed. So I remember I was in Career Fair, I dodget and they looked at my resume and they said, Oh, electrical engineering, that's the engineering line and I went <laughs> up to it and I'm like, Do you have something where, you know, I, I can Again, I didn't know the words were product management, Mm. program management, consulting. Like if I knew the words, I think I could have articulated what I was seeking better. But I just kind of described what I wanted without the titles. Unfortunately, one of the recruiters was just like, oh, why don't you try the mock program, which is the Microsoft Academy of College Hires for sales and services, customer-facing roles. So I started my journey there, started in Dallas, and then within a year moved to moved to san francisco but the reason the transition was interesting is because i was used to doing multiple things at a time so working from nine to five and then not having anything to do after five was a very strange transition for me because even at college if i was not studying i was doing research i was part of extracurricular clubs or i was like figuring out life with friends like i was just sharing earlier So I wasn't used to having all this empty time on my hand. So it was interesting. And that's when, again, my value system got tested, right? Like what keeps me sane? Where do I thrive? In which environment do I thrive? What keeps me mentally sane? Those are the things I was able to figure out during those initial years. And learning is the other aspect. I've always had a very curious and learning mindset. And I needed an avenue to leverage that mindset after work because the learning that I was getting at work wasn't sufficient to keep me motivated. I just needed more. And that was partially the reason why I moved to California because in the hopes that it's more of a metro city than Dallas and I'll be able to find places and things to do. So yeah, it was a very interesting transition into adulthood to figure out what does life look like when timetables and classes are not dictator in your day.
0: Yeah, Priya, you know, for a lot of folks, you know, even coming out of the MBA program, going to a big tech company like Microsoft would have been a dream, but you didn't just stay at Microsoft after a number of years. You even went to a a bigger tech, well, I guess a different tech company in a lot of ways that you're at Google. So what was that transition like and you know, what were you thinking about having worked at really maybe one of the premier brands at Microsoft and then going from Microsoft to another really phenomenal tech company like Google and being in the Bay Area for Google nonetheless?
1: I left Microsoft because my learning had plateaued in that particular role. So because Google was not yet number one or number two in the cloud rankings, there was immense opportunity at Google to contribute to the business, to the field, in addition to doing the customer work that I was doing. The amount of challenging projects I've gotten the chance to work at over Mm -hmm. here at Google has been phenomenal that I'm so appreciative of, and it's allowed me to really grow every day. One of the things I keep telling my manager every six months, which he knows by now, is I hate monotonous work and I reach my plateaus very quickly, so I need to keep picking up projects that challenge me because that's what motivates me to then give back to the business with respect to our 10x projects and twenty percent projects etc so that was the motivation, honestly, for changing companies was to get a playing ground. And I was lucky to join Google at a time where we were just establishing a professional services organization, mm. which mm. has now transformed into a cloud customer experience organization that I'm now part of. And it's been an, almost sitting my four and a half years now at Google. and In the last four and a half years, I've been a tank. I've been an engagement manager. I've been a regional lead for technical account managers. And now I'm leading the EM organization for West. And I don't think this level of opportunity would have been possible at a more mature organization. So lucky to be in Google Cloud, which which has all the benefits and resources of a large company still allowing us to operate as a smaller firm within, if you will. So it's, it's been That's been my thing, learning, challenging, curious mind, as far as I'm getting these three things out of my role. And I've been very vocal about it with my managers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what's really helped me also secure these next positions at the company because I've not shied away in having proactive career conversations with my managers and laying out to them what will motivate me to give my 100% or more at the company. So that has been very, very important for me to be in that learning environment.
0: That's awesome to hear, Priya. You know, after accomplishing so much already in your career, you know, folks would probably ask, like, why go get an MBA? Like, you already are doing such great work and have accomplished so much. You know, what was that thinking for you in terms of pursuing the MBA? And what was it like going through the initial process and then actually getting accepted and coming to campus?
1: I think, and I ask this question to myself all the time, right? If I knew I don't want to leave Google, you know, is it worth going through the journey of the commute from Sunnyvale to Berkeley two times oh, a yeah. week, etc.? Very familiar. <laughs> I think there were three, yeah. <laughs> I think three primary reasons why I applied to the MBA program. The first one, again, student-only, truly. For me, that constant learning was very important. So getting an MBA fulfilled that part of me that wanted to learn more. The second was imposter syndrome, actually. At Google, there are so many amazing people that I always felt, am I playing catch up with their brilliance and their expertise? And do they know something more that I don't know? And since I knew I'm going to be in the business side of things for the rest of my journey, at least how I see it now, I wanted to make sure I at least understand at a one-on-one level, what are the different aspects of running a business as a leader and what better way than to learn it in a structured manner at a base school. And the third reason was to learn from other people. I think we as human beings are meant to be social beings. We are not meant to just be put in one place. And the best learnings and reflections that I get are from conversations and idea exchange and conversations with other people. And I really felt that at heart, meeting people from different backgrounds, bringing different perspectives helped me think through, just like how it was at Georgia Tech, helped me think through the way I'm thinking about certain things, Open my mind to different concepts, different ways of approaching, and grow myself professionally. So it's less about, hey, now that you've graduated out of Haas, what is the material impact on a title change or a job change or a company change? It's more about, What I have learned holistically to be an effective leader long term, I'm I'm certain one can learn that on the job. I just feel I got so much in the three years condensed that I am grateful for.
0: Priya, you know, one of the unique things in your story and, and my experience as well, we we started on campus and, and we were going to class every week. And then in the middle of it, we hit the pandemic. What was that like for you, especially in your role at work? You're in a customer centric role with like a changing environment. And then also in your free time, your B school is also changing right before your eyes. What was that like for you? And how did you how was that experience like as you were going through it?
1: It was a very interesting experience. And in hindsight, I am so amazed at how wonderfully we all adapted through that journey. But for me, it was constantly about the mindset. I knew if I could keep the right mindset on things, I'd be able to get through it easier and enjoy the journey because we know what the end is going to be regardless. So, might as well, you know, make the most out of the journey. So, a few things that I did for B-School that I think helped me remotely is when we were in person, we would end up sitting with the same people in class. And so every time we had a breakout discussion, I would be chatting with the same five people. One of the best things I found moving to Zoom for our classes was Zoom would break us automatically into breakout rooms. So I actually got closer to a lot of my classmates and hear their perspectives that I never would have in an in-person class because we don't walk around the room asking other people their opinions. But with the Zoom breakouts, I was actually able to hear other people more. The other thing was understanding people's perspectives on certain cases or certain classes because of Because the loudest people in the class are not able to now speak, because you can see how many times you're raising your hand and other people get an opportunity. (laughs) So, I actually was thrilled at all the positives that we got out of being virtual. And lastly, all the initiatives that I could contribute to being remote. For example, I was part of the Women in Leadership Conference planning team for last year's conference, I was the blue cohort rep. For both the 2020 as well as 2021 V launches. And many of that I was able to do because I did not have to drive from Sunnyvale to Berkeley oh, and yeah. lose two and a half hours in commute one way because we were able to participate virtually. So I honestly loved the portion of our class that was online because I took advantage of the resources that I could now immerse myself into that was harder for me to do in person and then i wrapped up my last semester in person so that was great too because i got the yeah. chance to reconnect with all the classmates and exchange stories and definitely being in person has its own benefits that zoom can't replace so what i'm taking away from my experience is actually best of both worlds that the pandemic offered and likewise for work being in a customer facing environment you are more drawn to pulling out your empathetic nature because people are going through so much hardships. There is an element of convenience now that everything is online. Again, definitely miss the hallway conversations that one can have more organically in person. But I'm also a half full kind of person. So I have been tapping into all the advantages I'm getting in being in a remote environment. That would not be possible in person. So it's been an adaptive journey. And I'm sure now we're going to all complain and crip that we need to sit through traffic and go back to work. <laughs> Just that we we complain and crip about being all remote. So... Hey, that's what life is, it, you know, keep throwing the fun things so it's not boring.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What has been your kind of takeaway from the MBA experience as a whole? And, and you know, what is your focus now as you're transitioning and taking on increased you know, leadership roles, even in work and outside of work as well?
1: Definitely. I think with respect to work, the key takeaway for me is how do we bring in the holistic knowledge that has been gained at Haas and bring that to my role as a leader, which involves not just you know managing and running a business or a region, but from a people management perspective, from uh, running effective business initiatives. There are elements from Haas all across that fold-in. To give you an example, One of the first classes we took at Haas was on people management or leadership, and they taught us there about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivations that every individual has. So now, unconsciously, when I meet my team and I know different things motivate different people, I'm able to draw upon those lessons that we learned in our case studies about ah, this person is more motivated by leadership validation this person is more motivated by money. This person is more motivated by more challenging work. And it allows for me to distribute work amongst my team in a more in a more effective manner, knowing what will help them thrive and feel fulfilled every day at work. Another example is the pricing class. Even mm. though by its name it's meant to be on pricing products, I felt I learned so much more about running a business and strategy in general in that class, because the class drawed upon the concept of not just how do you price a product, but how are you able to think about your competition and the ongoing strategy that you need to have, you know, marketing and all the different concepts. So now when we think about similar things at work, I'm able to draw upon those lessons as opposed to looking at it as isolated tasks or work that we are focused on. So the takeaways from us are so many that they aren't necessarily a list of bullet points but more about things that i'm able to draw upon as i go through my role and it's given a sense of confidence also that like negotiations right you're every day negotiating with the other person about what do they need what do i need in order to make this a win-win situation Mm -hmm. Um, these are the lessons of confidence that has now come more naturally having gone through the program. And lastly, I think the culture of Haas, you know, being that we wear our heart on our sleeves and we are such people leaders. And I know that's something Haas takes pride on. is so in sync with my general value system already that it's been one of the best takeaways knowing that you don't have to change to be an effective leader. You can keep intact, the people component, the empathy component, caring component, and still be effective and result-oriented at work. So I'm excited about taking these lessons as the scope of my work increases, as my team increases, because the community at Haas is also always present. We keep thinking each other on Slack about has anybody run into this situation or that Mm -hmm. situation. So people is obviously the biggest thing one is going to take away from Haas. I'm very grateful for the community I have met, for the professors I have met. I'm sure we're going to be able to bring them anytime, seek their input and sustain that relation as well. I am so excited that Haas is now going to be a permanent fixture in my life as opposed to an episode that is now over.
0: You know, we were talking before and your work and your career is incredibly just awesome already, but you're also passionate about stuff outside of work, creativity and giving back into the community. And you were sharing with me earlier, you even started writing recently. Wanted to talk a bit about that. What drives you in those areas and how's that really just become part of who you are and and why you're passionate about those things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The reason it is so important for me to give back to the community is because I am acutely aware of how privileged we are to be here in the Bay Area working for the best firms. And it's not that there aren't hardworking people out there. It is just a privilege of, you know, where you are and the exposure you get, the lessons you get. So one of the things that keeps me grounded is giving back. Every six months, I mentor two women who are either at Google or outside. And I do this in six-month rotation to allow for me to scale my impact, but also to allow them to take the learnings and go be successful. I have learned so much while mentoring from them. I've learned so much about how to be an effective leader through that process. So honestly, it's been a two-way journey, but it's been very fulfilling for me. I would not be where I am today without the help of other mentors who coached me and guided me, either in a formal or informal capacity. The best thing I can do is pay that forward. And mentorship is one of the best ways I find of doing that. I have a four by four matrix that keeps me sane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So talking about creativity, the way my four by four matrix works is in the leftmost quadrant, I have family and friends. In the second quadrant, I have uh, work. In the lower left quadrant, I have health. And the lower right quadrant, I have creativity. And spirituality is what encompasses my matrix. So this is my four by four life matrix. And the reason I have creativity over there is I realize that if I have a really good week where I have worked out and taken care of my health, I've done great work. I've talked to family and friends. I can still feel unfulfilled if I'm not creative. If I hit all of these four points, not every day, but maybe once every even two weeks, I realize I don't like, I feel good in general. So, which is why creativity is intentionally on there to remind myself that that is something that fuels my soul. Because otherwise, it's very easy to associate your identity to work. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I keep myself occupied after work through these initiatives.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, Priya, it's been great to have you on the show. You know, as a tradition, we have a lightning round at the end where we ask a couple of fun and light questions. I would love to have (laughs) the opportunity to ask you some uh, questions and also some other questions as well. But uh, if you'd be up for it, we'd uh, love to go through a lightning round with you.
1: Let's do it. Oh my gosh, this is exciting.
0: Number one, my first question, my favorite question, what was one of your favorite places to eat in the Berkeley area?
1: There is this really small Indian place at Bancroft Way Mm -hmm. um, where they sell an authentic dish that I've actually not eaten anywhere else. That was my favorite place (laughs) to go to. In between the 45 minutes break that we would get in the yeah. evening, I would rush there, <laughs> grab, the, grab the food and come back. So I'm definitely going to miss those dinner runs.
0: <laughs> mm, absolutely. Uh, second question. What's one of your favorite memories from being in the MBA program?
1: Relaunch, hands down. Mm favorite memory it was so <laughs> exciting to be in that energy and uh specifically in relaunch when we were having our cohort chant challenge i think that's what marked it for me that oh i'm part of cohort blow <laughs> so it was the sense of belonging the sense of community that those two days created because one of the biggest things i had i'm like oh my gosh i'm such a lawyer Georgia Tech alma mater, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm never going to fall in love with another institute again, uh, but you know what? ReLaunch did it for me. <laughs>
0: mm. Oh, yeah. Very good times from we Launch. Second to last question, Priya. What's one piece of advice, either personal or professional, that you'd give to somebody else?
1: I think at least for those who are still in the MBA program, the biggest thing I would say is to not get pressurized by the concept of networking. I have always done what I term a selective networking because there are often going to be people in the room who are not there at every bar, who are not there at every party, but they still manage to get a lot out of the program. And I think I'm one of them. And I would still like to think I'm friends with many people in my cohort because I took out the time to develop those one-on-one relationships and create those bonds that were outside of the traditional networking avenues. So for those who are unable to participate in those traditional avenues, I would say, don't be afraid of selective networking.
0: That's great advice. And uh, last question, Priya, You know, what's one thing that gets you excited about the future?
1: You know, one of the things a friend once told me, actually my husband on one of our first dates, he told me that when he was planning To pursue engineering he had asked his brother that what's even the point of doing engineering everything has already been discovered Mm. and i really like that i think because we are right now at a point where it might feel like we are so technologically advanced what else is even there right now to do more and i think that's what keeps me excited for the future that there's always going to be things that are going to be innovated we as a human race have so much potential in our human brain to contribute and transform to you know this world. I'm excited for the opportunities that the world is going to bring to us and the adaption we'll have to do to keep going on as a human race. So the future is actually really exciting and I can't wait to see you know what will be the next. Mobile phone that we today think is going to be impossible, but it would soon be a part of our everyday life. So I think that's what is exciting to me.
0: Well, Priya, it's been great to have you on the on the on the show today. I want to say thanks again for for joining us as our guest, and just want to wish you all the best uh, in the future.
1: Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. This was very very nice, and I super appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas Podcasts. And until next time, go Bears!